0: Acts chapter 1 this morning. Acts chapter 1. We'll get to the reading of Scripture in just a moment. Yesterday, I attended the memorial service of a good friend. God gave him 73 years here on this earth before the Lord called him home. I'm thankful to know that he's with Jesus. My friend passed away on the last day of 2020. This was just one more stark reminder to me of the sorrows and challenges that have been faced by many over the past year. This year that we're in now has already started with more challenges, more division, more unrest, more uncertainty, even in our nation. We started off 2021. Guess what? The coronavirus is still with us. We have the uncertainty of a nation who's divided on who should lead. Instead of serving others, many of our political leaders have become completely Self-absorbed and power-hungry. As a church, we have and we will continue to have challenges. Many have dealt with sickness. Some still are. Some have dealt with financial struggle and loss of work. So where do we go from here? What should our response be in these uncertain times? I am concerned about our church. I'm concerned that we do not become a church that is governed by fear. I'm concerned that we as individuals do not become distracted with all that is going on around us, and among us and forget why God has put us here. I do not want us to be a church that gets distracted by personal agendas and become a church that is not led by the Holy Spirit in unity and in purpose. I believe that God has allowed these events that we have experienced and that we continue to experience, He has allowed them, and I believe He's using them, to bring the focus of His people back to Him. For me, and maybe for you, He has taken away some of the luster and shine of this world. It doesn't seem as attractive anymore, does it? not as alluring, we've realized that this world doesn't have the answers. They give answers and they're wrong, and they give more answers and they're still wrong. God's reminded us that our hope will never be found in who is in the White House or, for that matter, in any earthly king. Our hope, our trust, our joy, our comfort is only found in the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I love what the Scripture says in Isaiah. He is the Prince of Peace. God knows what is next. He is always on the move. This year, the theme that the Lord has laid on my heart for our church is the theme of forward, moving forward for the Lord. Because here's the reality I believe that God's message is the same as it's always been. I believe God's mission for us is the same that it has always been. And I believe that God has given us everything that we need to be able to accomplish this mission. This is why I believe that God has directed my thoughts, and I hope He will direct yours as well, to this idea of continuing to move forward for the glory of the Lord. In a time of unrest, in a time where there seem to be more questions than answers, we have a great opportunity here to stand for the truth and to give a clear call to people to come to Jesus. It is my prayer that we will, with God's help, rise above the, pr- the fray and speak out above the noise to share the good news of Jesus to this lost and dying world. Now you may feel unfairly treated you may feel like the world is against you. Be of good cheer. You are in good company." This world stood against Jesus. They crucified Him. And this world also stood against the early church as we'll read about and as we'll study together in the book of Acts. In fact, many of them suffered greatly for the cause of Christ. Some even lost their lives, but they were willing to do it because Jesus was willing to suffer and to die for them and to give them eternal life. See, we need hope not just for this life, but what about the next? Now, let's look at our text this morning in Acts chapter 1, and we don't always do this, but this morning I'm going to ask you to stand as we read the Word of God together. Stand if you're able And we're going to read together Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. I hope you have your own copy of the Word of God, but if you don't, it's okay. You can follow along on the screen with us this morning. The Bible says this Acts chapter 1, verse 1 The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up. After that, He, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom He had chosen, to whom also He showed Himself alive after His passion, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his power, in his own power, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, behold, Two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen Him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day journey. And when they were come in they went up into an upper room which where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew Philip and Thomas Bartholomew and Matthew James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes and Judas not Iscariot this is Judas the brother of James These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his Brethren, Lord, take Your Word this morning and use it with great power to do a work in our hearts. Lord, we need You today. We need to hear from You. I pray that Your Spirit would continue to move in our midst. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. As we begin our study together in the book of Acts, I'd like to give you just a little bit of background on this book. I think it's important that we get a little bit of background about the book that we're starting into so that we can all start on the same page a little bit together and understand where we're coming from. In our text this morning, we read from the second longest book in the New Testament, second only in length to the book of Luke. And it's interesting to note that both books were written down by the same person. Dr. Luke. I think it's also interesting to note that the writer Luke, he was the only Gentile writer in the New Testament. I think it's wonderful that God in His sovereignty chose to use a Gentile writer to speak of the gospel being carried out to the ends of the earth, which includes you and me. And it's also interesting to note that Luke addressed both of his letters, or both of his books, Luke and Acts, to the same person. This person by the name Theophilus. Theophilus is a Greek name, which means beloved of God, or friend of God. And Luke and Acts really go together like a two-volume set. The book of Luke is the story of Jesus, His virgin birth. His ministry, His miracles. Luke tells us of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the book of Luke finishes by telling us, as Jesus gives the great commission to His disciples, and then He ascends up into heaven. The book of Acts begins where the book of Luke left off with a more uh, descriptive Uh, Peace on the ascension of Christ and those last moments of Christ on the earth before He ascended up into heaven. And then the book of Acts continues in telling us how the Holy Spirit was at work in the believers, in the followers of Jesus, to carry the message of Jesus Christ around the world. The book of Acts is very descriptive. It's full of names of people and places. That's why it's helpful when you study the book of Acts to study it with a good set of Bible maps in hand because many different places are mentioned. In fact, 104 different places are given by name in the book of Acts. And 113 different people are named in the book of Acts as well as other people who we don't know their names. The book of Acts has three dominating personalities who are rarely seen, but their work cannot be missed in this book. These three personalities are Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and Satan. Now, there are also two principal human characters in this book. It's two men by the name of Peter and Saul, later Paul the apostle. Peter is prominent in the first part of the book, Acts 1 through 12, and Paul is prominent in the second part, Acts 13 through 28. And it's interesting that Luke highlights several striking similarities between the ministries of these two men. The first recorded sermon of each man was given a featured place in this book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 for Peter, Acts chapter 13 for Paul. Both Peter and Paul healed a lame man. In Acts chapter 3 verses 2 through 8 we read of Peter healing a lame man. In Acts chapter 14 verses 9 and 10 we read of Paul healing a lame man. Both exercised miracles of judgment. Acts chapter 5, verses 5 through 10 for Peter. And Paul, we see him exercising a similar miracle in Acts 13, verse 11. Both had victory over a false prophet. Peter in Acts 8, verses 9 through 24. Paul in Acts 13, verses 8 through 11. Both men healed the sick. Peter in Acts 9, verses 33 to 34. And Paul in Acts 28. And verse 8, both raised people from the dead. Peter did this in Acts 9, verses 36 to 42, and Paul in Acts 20 and verse 9. Both seemed to radiate power. Peter in Acts 5, 15 and 16, and Paul in Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and 12. Both men received remarkable visions from God. Peter in Acts chapter 10, verses 11 through 16, and Paul in Acts 16, verses 9 and 10. I think this next one's very interesting. Both refused worship. They say, what do you mean refused worship? They did not refuse to worship God, but as both men were carrying out the ministries that God had given for them to do, they had certain people who tried to come and worship them. And rather than let them worship them, they said, no, you must worship God. We are not God, only He is God. This is spoken of about Peter in Acts chapter 10, verses 25 and 26, and Paul in Acts 14, verses 11 through 15. Both men were delivered from prison by a miracle. Peter in Acts 12, verses 7 through 11, and Paul in Acts 16, verse 26. And both men had a vital ministry to the Gentiles." Now we often think of Peter as the apostle to the Jews and Paul as the apostle to the Gentiles. But if you'll remember, and if you don't remember, don't worry, we'll get to it before too long. God sent Peter a vision and he had to change Peter's mind about the gospel going to the Gentiles. And after that point, Peter had a very vital ministry to the Gentiles. We read of that for Peter in Acts 15 and verse 7 and Paul Acts 15 and verse 12. God used these two men and many other men and women that are mentioned in the book of Acts to do His great mission of getting the gospel out to the world. As you read through the book of Acts, And I hope maybe you'll take some time to do this on your own outside of just coming to church. But as you read through this book, you will see the idea of witnessing, sharing the gospel, being brought up over and over in this book. The word witness is applied to believers specifically 15 different times in the book of Acts. And there are at least 60 examples in the book of Acts of public or private witnessing in the book of Acts. Because of this, it's very interesting, you can organize the book around the theme of witnessing. You just read with me a moment ago from Acts 1, verse 8, which says this But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the earth. It's interesting to note that in Acts chapters 1 through 7, we see the witness in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 8 through Acts chapter 12, we see the witness in Judea and Samaria. And in Acts chapter 13 through Acts chapter 28, we see the witness going to the uttermost part of the earth. So through this theme of witness, we can truly see a very simple outline of the entire book of Acts. Now, you'll have to forgive me for such a long introduction, but as we're starting a new book, I wanted us to all get started in the same place. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, are we only going to be hearing about witnessing all year long? I mean, I know that's important and all, but what about my own needs and struggles? Let me tell you, I will never apologize for preaching about witnessing because we all need to be challenged, including myself, about witnessing. That being said, While witnessing is the central theme of this book as we see the Holy Spirit at work through believers to carry the witness of Christ around the world, as we study this book together, you will see the struggles of real people succeeding and failing at the mission that God gave them. You will learn how to deal with personal victory and personal failure. You will learn how to deal with hard times. You will learn how to walk in the Spirit and how to pray to God for His help. If you will come this year with an open mind to hear from God's Word, God will give you exactly what you need. This morning, I want to give you a few simple points Four points from Acts chapter 1 as we start into this wonderful book together. At the end of Acts chapter 1, we find this group of 120 believers, the Bible tells us. They were gathered together and they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Think about it, Jesus had ministered for three and a half years. He had performed miracles that had impacted thousands. He had preached messages. He had healed the sick. And He brought the dead back to life. Jesus had been crucified and He rose again three days later. And over the next 40 days, He appeared to hundreds of His followers and gave them evidence that was beyond question of his resurrection. In fact, this is spoken of in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. It says, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Those words translated infallible proofs are the same Greek words that the Greek philosophers would use to say, this is absolutely incontrovertible evidence. We can be absolutely certain that this is true. We can be certain that Jesus is alive. And so after all of this, He ascended up to heaven. And you would think, after all the miracles, after all the preaching, after three and a half years of ministry, If anybody would have left a huge following, it would have been Jesus. But there's 120 people. It's not to say they were the only followers of Jesus. There could have been others that were elsewhere. But the only ones that were gathered together waiting for the Holy Spirit to come is this relatively small group. The 11 disciples that are left... And some other men and women gathered there. Think about what they were going through. They were waiting, they were wondering, and they were hoping. They were an oppressed people by the Roman government and by the Jewish religious leaders. Lies were being spread throughout Jerusalem that Jesus hadn't really risen from the grave. If you remember this, when Jesus rose again, the soldiers were knocked unconscious. And when they went back to the religious leaders, the religious leaders paid off some of the men to go and spread the story that the disciples had stolen the body of Jesus. Here, these followers of Christ knew without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus had risen again they had absolute infallible proof and yet the please forgive me for saying it the fake news of the day <laughs> was that Jesus body had been stolen by his followers and that his followers were liars claiming that he had risen again you got to Put yourself for a moment where these people were living. And now they had just seen Jesus ascend back into heaven and He's told them to wait. Can you imagine the uncertainty? The questions? The unknown? But let's leave these 120 for a minute and let's imagine our present day. See, if you have read it all in the book of Acts, you aren't too worried about the 120. Because you know what happens next for them. But they didn't. So here we are in our present day. Now, we're missing a few of our regular group. We have some that have been sick. We have some still out of town, some even traveling back today. But if we had our regular number here in this building, we would have somewhere between 120 and 150 people here today. Including our online audience, we may be closer to 200, give or take. Either way, we are a relatively small group. And we're faced with great uncertainty around us. We don't know what is next. So let's look at Acts chapter 1 and see what Jesus told these believers to do. And I think maybe we'll find some instruction and help for us because they didn't know what was next. You don't know what's next. I don't know what's next. But He does. He does. Number one this morning. We'll see in verses 4 and 5 that He told them to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 4. He says, "...and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father." What was the promise of the Father? "...which saith he, ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye," here's the promise, "...shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence." So God had promised to send them the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, Receiving the Holy Ghost was something they had to wait for. But it is not something that you and I have to wait for today. Turn over to chapter 2 of Acts. Because in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, you'll read this. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. See, I believe based on this passage and others in the Scripture that as believers now, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not something you have to wait till later for. But at this time in Acts chapter 1, that hadn't taken place yet. But I think it's important for us to realize this truth, that while we may already have the gift of the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer this morning, it is possible to quench the Holy Spirit's power and work in your life. You can quench the Spirit by living in sin and refusing to listen to God's leading. While we don't have to wait for the baptism of the Spirit, we must be filled. That means controlled by the Holy Spirit if we're going to do anything for God. You say, well, how how do you live controlled by the Spirit, filled by the Spirit? Well, honestly, that's a whole series of messages in and of itself. But I'm going to give you three simple points this morning to help you with this. Number one... Confess your sin. Confess your sin. Last night a group of us gathered here to pray and some joined us online. And we began by reading through the book or chapter 1 of Nehemiah where Nehemiah hears about the city of Jerusalem that was broken down. The walls were broken down and the gates were burned with fire. And Nehemiah was moved. He wept, the Bible says. But what did he do? He got down and he began to confess his sin, and the sins of his people. See, if we expect to experience the Holy Spirit's work in and through us, in and through me and you and each one of us, we must not quench the Spirit. And when if, if we are living in sin, the Holy Spirit's leading in our life is not going to be the same. 1 John 1.9 says it this way, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We must first confess our sin. Number two, spend time in God's Word. Spend time in God's Word. How can you ever get used to listening to the voice of somebody that you don't know? Just the other day, our family, when we were out of town, we went hiking up a place called Stone Mountain. It's north of Atlanta, Georgia. As my kids were coming down, they weren't hiking. They were running. It was incredible. I tried to keep up for a while, but as I was bounding down those rocks behind them, I realized, if I do this much longer, my knee is just going to go down, and I'm not going to get back up. So I bounded for a minute, and I thought, I'm going to take a break. So I walked. What was funny is I heard the kids calling out to each other, and one of them said, hey, Trevor, Trevor. Well, it just so happened there was a guy walking by me whose name happened to be Trevor. (laughs) Now, I didn't know that his name was Trevor, but as soon as one of the kids said, hey, Trevor, Trevor, he looks up, and he goes, what? (laughs) And he said to the lady who was with him, he said, I thought they were talking to me. And then he was kind of joking because every time they would say Trevor, he, what, what, what? (laughs) You've probably had a similar experience where you've been somewhere and somebody called out your name, but they weren't talking to you. Why do you listen up? Because they're calling your name. But you know, if they hadn't called your name, you probably, unless you're really trying to, you probably didn't hear a thing that they said. Until they said your name. Because when somebody knows you and you know them, you're able to hear them and listen to them in a way that's so different than somebody that you don't know. And if we're going to learn to be led by the Spirit, if we're going to be controlled by the Spirit, we need to get to know our God. And we must do that by being in His Word. Get to know who God is. Get to know what God has done. Get to know how God has worked throughout history. Learn the promises of God. Memorize the Word of God. Meditate upon its truth. I love what Psalm 119 says in verse number 9 Wherewithal, how shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto, according to the Word of God. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. How are we going to live for the Lord this year? How are we going to go forward for Him? Well, we must be led by the Spirit. We don't have to wait for the Spirit to baptize us. If you're saved, you've already got that. But you better learn to live and to walk in the Spirit and be filled by the Spirit and controlled by the Spirit and listening to the Spirit's leading. And that comes as we get to know our God in His Word. And that brings me to the third point, listen and obey to what God is telling you to do. Because the Bible also says this, that knowledge puffeth up. If all you do is study your Bible, and you should study your Bible, But if all you do is study your Bible, you'll just become an arrogant, proud person that thinks they know it all. Maybe you do know it all. But you won't do any good for yourself or anybody else. Because if you don't apply that knowledge by obeying what God tells you to do, you won't be experiencing the Spirit's leading in your life. Instead, you'll be quenching the Spirit. So he told the believers to wait for the Spirit. If we're going to do anything this year, we need the Holy Spirit's power. We need the Holy Spirit at work. We've got to let Him work through us and in us. We've got to be ready to praise Him with all of our might. We've got to be ready to serve Him and go wherever He tells us to go. Do whatever He tells us to do. Notice the second thing that He told them to do. You'll see it in verses 6 and 7. He told them that they wouldn't know the times or the seasons. say, what is this? Well, look at verse 6 with me, it says, when they therefore were come together, they asked of Him. And the idea is that they asked Him all these questions, all of them were asking. They asked Him, saying, Lord, wilt Thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in His own power. Let me explain to you what they were asking. They were asking Him, hey, Lord, when we get the Holy Spirit, is that going to be the time when we go out and overthrow the Romans and take back the kingdom? put our own king on the throne, get Caesar out, put our king in, we're going to be back in charge. I mean, think about this. Hadn't Jesus already dealt with this over and over and over during His earthly ministry? I mean, as far as I can tell from my study, the previous time that He dealt with this was on Palm Sunday when He comes riding into Jerusalem they all cried, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they put down the palm branches and their, and their coats on the ground. They thought the king was coming. Well, he was, but it wasn't the king that was going to do what they thought he was going to do. Because he wasn't coming to overthrow the Romans. He was coming to bring salvation. <laughs> and here they are right back at it again. All right, Lord, is this the time when, when you send the Spirit? Now we're going to go out and we're going to restore the kingdom. Isn't it interesting? I mean, Christians today get caught up in this. We feel like it'd be better if we were in charge of everything. Maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. But it's not about whether you or I are in charge, because we serve the one who is in charge. And it's not for us to worry about when we get to be in charge. Because we are serving the one who's in charge. And He's already told us He's going to come back one day and He will rule and reign. And the Bible even tells us we'll rule and reign with Him. But it's not for us to know the times or seasons. We know what's going to happen. We just don't know when it's going to all take place. But we don't need to know God's exact timeline to be able to trust God and serve Him Because a good servant is not telling his master what to do and when to do it. A good servant does what his master says and trusts his master to take care of all the other things. God's given us everything we need. He's given us the Spirit. He's given us His Word. He's given us salvation. Many times Christians get caught up worrying about the future and trying to change the outcomes of their situations. This happens at your house. Husbands do this with their wives. Wives do this with their husbands. Children, teenagers try to do this with their parents try to manipulate, you try to change, you try to orchestrate things and say the right thing and twist things around so you get to be in the position. And sometimes you justify it by saying, well, but if I was in charge, then I'd be doing a better job than whoever is in charge. If I got to make the decision, I could make a better decision than my mother or father. Sometimes how young people live, right? Parent, you aren't the parent because you're perfect. You're the parent because God put you in that position. Now, you better submit yourself to the Lord. But you're not the leader because you're a perfect leader. You're the leader because God chose you to be the leader. Husband, I'm I'm venturing into dangerous territory now. You're not the leader because you're a perfect husband. You're the leader because God put you in that position. Now, don't abuse your authority. Just like parents shouldn't abuse their authority but humbly accept the position that God's put you in and lead lovingly and and as a servant to others. If you're in a position of submitting to somebody else as an employee, as a child, as a wife to her husband, you're not serving a perfect person or perfect people. But God's put you in the position because who are you truly serving? All of us, no matter our position, we are here to serve God. Here in Acts 1, they were still confused. Is this the time? It's not for you to know the time. It's for you to know what you're supposed to do, but you don't need to know the time when you're going to be in charge, because it's not about you being in charge. It's about us pointing people to the one who is in charge. Because often think about it, what happens when the Christians are in charge? The Christians go from loving and serving and preaching the gospel and living with that sense of, you know, struggle and persecution and we really need to serve the Lord now, we really need to pray now, to now they go, hey, we're in charge, we'll just tell you what to do. If we don't like what you're doing, we'll make a law about it and put you in jail. Then we don't have to look at you, you don't have to bother us. What did Jesus do? Well, He came to seek and to save that which was lost. I believe in truth and righteousness and standing for what's right and dealing with evil and all of that. But we have a great mission that God has given us to do. And it's not about us being in charge. It's not about us knowing all the times and seasons. It's about us serving God in the place that He's put us. Number three, you'll find this in verse 8 of Acts chapter 1. He told them that they would be witnesses. Verse 8 says, but ye shall, it's not for you to know the times and seasons, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall, here's what will happen, here's what you're going to do, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. He told them that they would be witnesses. Now we'll be looking at this idea of witnesses more as we go through this book, but I want to give you, I think there's a very simple three-part outline right here in Acts 1-8. Because here in Acts 1-8, He tells us the means by which we are able to do what God has called us to do. The means is the Holy Spirit. Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Without me, Jesus said, ye can do nothing. If we're going to accomplish what God has put for us to do, we must have the Holy Spirit working in and through us. Don't quench the Spirit. Listen to the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Follow Him. Notice secondly here in Acts 1.8, the mission. Ye shall be witnesses. That's our mission. To be witnesses, a witness for Christ is somebody who goes and shares the good news. Someone who is out looking to make disciples, followers of Christ, by preaching the gospel and then taking those people who are saved and baptizing them and then teaching them to observe all things. That is our mission. And then we see here, and i trying to keep my M's going, the method. It's local, Jerusalem, it's regional, Judea and Samaria, and it's international, unto the uttermost part of the earth. It's worldwide. See, Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. He doesn't want His followers to be sitting around. He had a job for them to do. We may or may not understand all that is going on in the world around us, but we can be faithful to the job that God has given us to do. You're not supposed to be sitting around fretting. You're not to be out in the streets or on your social media page fighting with other people. You're to be a witness for Christ. This past summer, in August, I took a couple of weeks to just pray and study and to really seek the Lord and His direction for my life and for our church. Our church will be four years old in just a few months. We're looking forward to celebrating that in April. And the last few years have been quite an interesting time, have they not? We chose a great time to plant a church. I say God chose a great time. Just a few months before Hurricane Harvey. But God helped us to minister to many people and churches through that storm. Some of you came to the church during that time. That's how we got to know Brother Larry. I told somebody yesterday, I don't know what I would do without Brother Larry. Thankful for him. But you know, it was a storm that brought us together. And you know, it's been more storms probably has kept us together. I don't know. We've been through some more storms since then. Yeah. And God's used those just to bring us even closer together. In year two, we experienced a growth spurt and added many new people to our church. In year three, we continued to grow, but the Lord, I think, really helped us to start to grow deeper in our relationships with one another and our spiritual understanding as God began to reveal some deep-seated spiritual struggles in people, and it took a lot of time and and study and work in the Word and prayer to see God begin to break down some of those walls and, and rebuild and restore some of those relationships. We begin to invest more and more in the personal discipleship process that we want to see go forward in our church because that's where relationships grow better and stronger. And that's how people really get grounded in the Word of God even more, taking what they're hearing in the preaching and in the Sunday school classes and then just going a step further and growing even more. And we saw some of the blessings and results of that in year four. As we've gone through the coronavirus, but rather than slowing down or going away, many churches have gone down. Even though we had our struggles through the year, you'll see this tonight. God blessed. Our attendance was up. Our giving was up. God continued to bless our church. We had more people added to the church. We had many people saved and many people baptized. God was at work. When people couldn't be at church or still can't be at church, people are reaching out to them. People are ministering to them. People are calling them and checking on them. How does that happen in a baby church where people don't know each other? It's because people took time to invest in relationships and growing with one another. I've seen our people come together and minister to one another. I've seen you reach out to those in need around us, both strangers and friends. I was looking at the numbers last night. In the last four years, we've had over $75,000 come through our church just to help people with hurricane damage. That's a lot of money. Where'd that come from? Well, the Lord definitely didn't come from me. I've seen people trust God and love each other through financial struggles, through physical struggles, through loss and pain. I've seen you put aside differences and follow Jesus. I've seen you sharing Christ with others. And we together have seen people saved and baptized and added to this church. God has been so good to us. But one of the things that God really laid on my heart About our church as we continue to go forward by faith, as we continue to grow and mature, is that I believe it's important that we continue to clarify and to focus the mission that God has put us here to do. Because as we continue to add more people, as we continue to add more ministries and programs and the calendar continues to fill up, we run the risk of losing our effectiveness because we just kind of become a distracted blob. And I want us to be a focused people. We're in the Lord's army. We're here to do His work. And I don't want us to be like Martha's who are busy about lots of good things. I want us to be Mary's who are sitting at the foot of Jesus that are focused on the best things. Paul even wrote to the church at Philippi, and in chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, I think it's in 11 or 12, he says, I would that you would approve the things that are excellent. If we're going to be a church that continues on for the glory of God, we need to be focused on what God wants us to do. Last year, I've shared with you some things, wrote a mission statement, and I want us to focus on this even more in 2021. I want us to make sure the ministries and the things we're doing are really focused and purposeful. That we're actually, if we're saying we're going out to reach people, we're actually reaching people. If we say this ministry is to help those who are struggling, it's actually helping people that are struggling. If we say this is to minister to children or teenagers, it's actually doing what it says that it's supposed to do. I also put a list of core values together that I want us to continue to embrace. Our mission statement is this. I think I got it on the screen. A Rise Baptist Church exists to glorify God, right? Whether therefore you eat, drink, whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. We do it by fulfilling the Great Commission. That is to go to every creature and preach the gospel, to make disciples, to baptize. And then we do this all in the spirit of the Great Commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want you to know this isn't just some statement I wrote down and think, well, this is good. No, it's all Bible. And I believe it's what God has called the church to do. I understand this loving God and loving people takes all kinds of different forms. Going out and making disciples looks different in different places. It happens through Sunday school classes. You could come and be in our early arisers classes by the end at 9 o'clock. Study through the Word together with Him. You could be in our Sunday evening classes that will be starting back up here in just a few weeks. Last Sunday in January because we've got our missions conference. We've got several other things that are going to be on Sunday nights over the next few weeks. You could come and be in those and you'll learn and you'll grow. You can read your Bible on your own. I've got a group of people in our church and if you want to join, it's not too late. What? We're only... Eight, nine days into the new year, so you could still jump in. Sorry, I don't have my data. Ten days into the new year. I don't even know what day it is. It's Sunday. But I have a group of people in our church that's reading the Bible through together with me this year. If you want to join me, let me know. I'll send you the reading schedule and you can join in. And we're making comments back and forth and we're asking questions. And that's great. And we also take time to pair people up. And this morning, Brother Winston got to meet Mark Penny, who comes to our early service at 9 o'clock, and they're going to start going through a continued study together. This past year, Billy spent a lot of time putting together kind of this discipleship pathway that it was a booklet we handed out. You may go, I don't even know where that is. I lost it. Well, we have more. We can give them to you after the service if you want one. And it just sets out some simple books and Bible studies and things you could do to pair up with someone else in our church. We want to help you grow. You can look at the walls on both sides of you. We just got these banners in. And this is a list. You could add more things to this list. But these were seven things that I felt were just absolutely essential for our church. Selfless service, genuine love, patient discipleship. It does take patience, by the way, just like it does with your kids. Not everybody grows as fast as you want them to. Not everybody deals with their sin like you do, because we all know you're great at dealing with your own sin, right? (laughs) That's a joke, by the way. Compassionate evangelism. Biblical proclamation, that's the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Passionate worship and sincere prayer. Now you may look at this list and say, well, Pastor, I would add another one. I think if we get these seven down real well, we'll be pretty far along our way, right? And maybe we can add some more later. But I want us to be focused on essential things. What God has called us to do if we're going to continue to move forward as a church we must remain focused on the truth and on the mission that God has given for us to do as we reach people with the gospel and make disciples we will naturally change and grow but that change and growth must never be away from the truth every time you add a new person to the church it changes a little bit a new face new voice new talents new abilities That's natural change. I'm not talking about changing the truth. I'm not talking about changing what God has called us to do. We must be committed to the mission that God has given us. We must be committed to these core values as essential for ministry. Our foundation must be the Word of God. God has given us the means. He's given us the mission. And He's given us the method for ministry. We are to be witnesses for Him. Will you commit with me to go forward in 2021 to say we are convinced that God's word is true. We're convinced that Jesus is the way to heaven. We are convinced that He is our only hope. We are convinced that God is on the throne and He's in charge and that the word of God is true and we can follow it faithfully till Jesus comes back. Will you commit to go forward with me and to follow Him? and to do what He wants you to do. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen next week or next year. Get over being surprised by what you see on the news. And let's be faithful to live out the mission that God has given for us to do. This is not just a church mission. This is your mission and my mission as individuals and as children of God. Let's go forward. And then finally, so what did they do? They knew what their mission was. But what did they do? Because remember, they're still waiting. Look at verses 9 through 14. It says, And when He had spoken these things, while they beheld, He was taken up, and a cloud received Him out of their sight. This was Jesus going back to the right hand of God the Father. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as He went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen Him go into heaven. Isn't it interesting that angels heralded the birth of Christ and angels were also there to... Speak to his followers as he ascended back up into heaven. And what did they tell him to do? Stop staring up to heaven. Get busy serving. Do what God wants you to do. You know, we don't need angels to come down here today and tell us what God wants us to do. I'm here to proclaim what God has told us to do, but... In truth, you don't even need me to tell you what God wants you to do. God has given us everything that He wants us to do right here. Right here in this book, the Word of God. And He's given us the Holy Spirit as believers. He's given us everything we need to be able to accomplish it. You see, following this mission, it can't just be mine. It's got to be ours. It can't be, well, these are pastor's values. This is pastor's... Mission, no, it's got to be my mission statement. It's got to be our mission statement. It's got to be where we're going together. So what did they do? The Bible says they continued in one accord. In one accord. There are going to be great challenges. These people are about to face them. They already were, really. But they went at it with one Accord. Now, later on in the book of Acts, we'll see several different examples of division came up in the church. And Then in some of those other churches that were started at other places, there was division that came up. There's no church that's immune from division. To think that you're never going to have disagreement is foolishness, because guess what? A church is made up of people. And all you have to do to ruin a perfect church is to add a person to it, right? All of us bring our own baggage and sin and struggle. We're all broken people that need Jesus. And He changes us and he keeps on changing us through the power of His word and the work of the Spirit in our lives, if we'll be submitted to it. And He can change us into His image. We're not here to be conformed to the image of a Rise Baptist Church or to the image of pastor. We're here to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So what did they do? Well, it wasn't about just going somewhere. See, it's not just about going to church. That's not going to help us in 2021. (laughs) A lot of people couldn't go to church In 2020, it's about being the church, being the light, being the salt, being the witness that God has called for us to do. You can't just let the programs and staff of the church do the work of the ministry. You must do the work of the ministry. So they continued in one accord, it says in verse 14, and they did it in prayer, in supplication, and they did it, the Bible says, with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with His brethren. Did you know this is the very last mention of Mary the mother of Jesus in the Word of God? tells me this, those early Christians, they weren't worshiping Mary. But Mary became a follower of Jesus along with all the rest of these 120 here. And I think it's interesting that, and helpful for us that she's mentioned there in that way. But how did they go on in one accord? They prayed together. It, it, the words here, it says, in one accord, in prayer and supplication. These were passionate prayers to God, each person praying and all praying together, praying out, crying out to God for Him to send His Spirit and to do His work through them. If we're going to get anything done this year, we must have the Holy Spirit. We must know what our mission is. But we're going to have to do it together in one accord. Are you willing to pray together and to minister together and serve together? In fact, you go over to Acts 2, and I'm getting ahead of myself, so I'll be quick, but the Bible says they had all things in common. They were meeting each other's needs. They were giving to one another financially. They were feeding each other. They were having people over to their into their homes. Wow. All of a sudden, the church starts to look very different than just a big building with Fancy windows and pretty walls, and nice pictures in the bathrooms. The church starts to look like just people at the coffee shop, at the house, coming together into a building to study and work, worship and, and together, and then getting out and serving the Lord together and ministering. Church is not a place, it's a people coming together to do the mission that God has given for us to do. So let's go forward. Let's go forward with the Holy Spirit to help us and the Word of God to guide us with confidence in the blood of Jesus Christ that bought us and paid the debt for our sin to give us eternal life. 2021, it'll be full of its challenges. Every year has them. But 2021 can also be a great year of blessing if we will commit ourselves to the work that God has given us to do. Let's go forward. Would you stand with me with your heads bowed and eyes closed? I hope you can join with us in this. But I would say this. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You don't have what you need to be able to do what you're supposed to do. God wants you to be a witness too. But first of all, you need the gospel. He wants to save you. The gospel is this, that Jesus came to take your place. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we deserve eternity in hell, but Jesus came to die for your sin, to pay your penalty. And He offers you the free gift of salvation. That's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's eternal life in heaven. Will you trust in Him today? Christian, if you're here this morning and you say, I want to go forward, going forward requires dealing with our sin, allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us. He's working. He's ready. But are you resisting Him? Are you quenching Him? In just a minute, when the piano plays, if you need to confess, don't come confess to me. Come down here and confess it to God. Do you know what your mission is? Are you clear? Are you focused? Ask God to remove those distractions and then let's do it together in one accord. Father, help us now. During this time of an invitation where people are being invited to come to you, to trust you as Savior, to come to you and to commit to following you, to confess sin, to walk with you. We love you in Jesus' name.